This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we are back this week continuing in kind of that progressive church series that we've been doing right now. Mm -hmm. And we are super excited about our special guest with us today. Yeah, today we have Marsha Montenegro with us. Uh, Marsha is uh, just kind of uh, from afar mentored me somewhat through reading her books, being on her website, listening to other podcasts that she's been on. And she's been a really helpful source for me to sort through uh, aspects of of the new age that are creeping into not only society, but also into the church. Mm -hmm. uh, Marsha was actually in the new age for many years. She was an astrologer. Uh, she came to faith in Jesus, and now she has a ministry to people who are engaged in the new age and the occult. And uh, you should check out all of her stuff at Christian Answers for the New Age. Uh, she just does awesome work, very helpful, very thorough. Uh, she also has a master's uh, from Southern Evangelical seminary so she is our go-to person when it comes to cults and the <laughs> yes, occult yes. and uh the new age so marcia thank you so much for being with us today well hi um thank you for having me uh robbie and tyler and i'm really i'm always ready to talk about these topics so i appreciate you giving me the opportunity yeah of course well uh <laughs> well with that we would like to know from you personally we always ask our guests yeah on the first show. question big yeah. deal first question it's <laughs> Very important to start <laughs> off with this, you know, on this uh, topic. Do you like coffee? And if so, what type of coffee do you enjoy and what do you like to drink on a regular basis? I love coffee. I drink it every morning. Nice. Without <laughs> fail. I have to have my one cup. I don't drink it all day, but I have to have, sometimes I have two cups. Hmm. And I go through phases with it. Uh, of different types of coffee I like. Like I was really into just brewing my coffee mm -hmm. and I was doing that. And then I decided um, I just wanted to do something easier. So I switched to instant, but it's Cafe Bustello, okay. which, right. which is probably the best instant coffee out there. <laughs> I've never had that. Okay. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. You need to get, it's actually <laughs> expensive um, okay. if you look for it like on Amazon hmm. and so I bought a uh, container of 12 boxes and each one has six little uh, uh, what do you want to say servings oh, okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's six cups but I've had to buy 12 <laughs> and that was, the, that was the most economical package I saw but then okay. I also got a jar of it uh, when I wasn't sure how to get it I managed to get a jar of it on Amazon fresh okay so, um, Man. and I, cause I'm getting my groceries delivered. So uh -huh. I did get yeah. that and it was very reasonable. Um, I have been drinking that plus, and a lot of coffee people probably going to really look down on this Maxwell house, international coffees. They have all these flavors. Uh huh. I have been trying cafe orange. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pretty I good. thought cafe orange. I thought, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I decided to try it. I do like orange flavors and it's delicious okay oh. and you're it's giving us new I, tips i've yeah. never had any of that yeah, i need to it's kind of like having coffee with the orange juice at the same time oh, <laughs> oh interesting wow. okay <laughs> i can so picture that like, yeah um so i'm doing that and the cafe bustella right now but i have some brewed coffee and that changes it's it alters i like kind of a a stronger 
Uh, I don't like mm. real strong, but okay. I like a good, a robust, smooth. Yeah. Man, that's like, great. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Yeah, I love I love the title of your show. Oh, Christ, thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's just great. Yeah, that helps us. I wonder if you ever kicked off anybody if they said, no, I don't like coffee, I drink There's tea. There's been one. We had one guy. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had, we had one guy. Well, enough to say he didn't yeah. drink coffee. Yeah, and then and then he backpedaled. He said, but I love the smell of it. Yeah, and so yeah. we said, okay, that's close enough. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> that saved him. <laughs> that saved him, yep. Well, hey, we are so thankful uh, to have yes. you here. This is going to just be an awesome interview. So, uh, Marsha, you wrote this book. You co-authored this book called Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. Now, uh, the Enneagram has kind of taken the evangelical church by storm in the past, I don't know, f- five to ten years, and a lot of places are incorporating it into what they do as a church. I've seen devotionals being mm-hmm. written for your certain Enneagram types. Can you explain to our audience, because some of them might be unfamiliar with what is the Enneagram uh, being marketed as, and why why are Christians thinking, that, hey, this is a good thing to incorporate into our spiritual life? Yes, it, and it is quite a story. Um, I have been tracking this for several years, even before it got into the church. My first article on it was in 2011. Hmm. Um, and Well, actually, then it was in the progressive church, Okay, and yeah. it was being um, taught or introduced at some of their conferences. And that's how I I noticed it being anywhere near some kind of uh, church. Aside from the Jesuits way back, had uh, some Jesuits took it into the Catholic Church, but it was never endorsed in the by the Catholic Church. Okay. And I don't think it ever went that far there. It was just like certain people were doing it. But anyway, um, back to answering the question you asked me. Some people, yeah, might not even know what what is an Enneagram, so I should say what it is. It's a geometric figure, and it has nine points. Mm -hmm. So it's very angular looking, and you can count, you know, the points one through nine. Okay. And um, each of those points in the Enneagram is is called a type or a number. So people may use type or number. Uh, they may say, well, I'm number four on the Enneagram or I'm type four mm. on the Enneagram. And what it is supposed to represent is your type, the type that you are the closest to in terms of the description okay. that is given for each type. It's supposed to represent. Uh, OK, now here's where we here's where it gets complicated right away. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Originally. The way the Enneagram was used with types was that the type was a false self. The type is a false construct that you have identified with Mm. because of your experiences, because of your fears, because of uh, weaknesses that you have fallen into in your character, because of the way you've been conditioned. All of these things have have caused you to be this certain type, but that's not really who you are. Mm. So the original idea of it really, um, and the way Richard Rohr teaches it, and I'll talk about him more, you know, later, is that this type is hiding the true self. And the true self is the self, this, this essence 
the word essence is often used, mm. especially in the new age. The essence is a true self that has never been separated from God and is is this goodness. It's a it's a goodness in you. Mm. Um, some people and then it can be termed differently. I say it's it's God, that of God in you. OK, um, in the new age, they're very. You know, they just say that's your, you know, divine, your divine self, mm -hmm. who you really are. Yeah, it sounds a little bit Hinduistic or Buddhist. <clears throat> like you got to, yeah. you got to demean, not demean, mm. but reduce your personality and realize your oneness with the one. It sounds kind of similar to that. Yeah, it's very, it is very much, uh, yes, it is very much like Hinduism, which says that we all have the Atman. Mm -hmm. um, the Atman is like the, the inner self, the true self that is is from God and with God, uh, with the Hindu concept of God, which is different from the biblical God. Sure. But yeah, it is very similar. And of course, that idea is in the New Age, too, because mm. the New Age draws from um, Eastern religions. But it's also very Gnostic, because the, in the in Gnostic views, you have, um, in the early Gnostics, you had we were all spirits with God and we took on bodies mm. and were trapped in these bodies and we identify with these bodies and we think that's who we are. And what we need to realize is that we're really these spirits mm. from God so that we can go back to God. So it's very similar. Yeah. There's a similar idea there where you have a false self and a true self. Huh. And so the Enneagram really, that is the idea the way it originally was taught and of course it was not taught originally by a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and the people who originally taught it had these kind of new age Gnostic occult views. And Richard Rohr, who learned it when some Jesuits were learning it, although he's not a, not a Jesuit, okay. but he happened to be learning it at the same place where other Jesuits were learning it in Chicago, as I understand it. Um, he, has taken it and kind of put his own spin on it. Uh, he wrote a book with Andrews Ebert that came out around 1990, 1991, 1992. There was a few editions of it there uh, called uh, The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. Okay. Mm. And so that gives the idea that it's a Christian tool or it can be a Christian tool. And I think that's the first time that the word Christian was associated with it. Okay. And okay. so a lot of people who would not know about Richard Rohr or what he believes would assume this could be a Christian tool. And so the progressives who already liked Richard Rohr, mm. um, because he's very progressive, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they I guess he, they got interested in the Enneagram or maybe he taught it to them. I don't really know, but I know they started presenting it at their conferences. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, Richard Rohr does not have the biblical view of ourself and the in what God tells us is that okay we're all created by God we're all individuals mm -hmm. we're all unique okay everybody is is unique and created in the image of God yes that means that we have certain characteristics moral characteristics that reflect the absolute morality of God's character mm -hmm. um, and so how we can understand justice or how we can understand being good or how we can understand being merciful is going to be based on God's character. Mm -hmm. But we can look to God and we can understand that and strive for it as Christians because God made us in his image. So we have that kind of built in 
understanding of those qualities. Um, of course, we fall way short of it. Yeah, sure, <laughs> but, of course. Yeah. That's yeah. where sin comes in, aware, yeah. You know, and we're aware of that standard, especially, I mean, when you become a Christian, you, you know, you realize the standard. So it's not like we have some kind of true self hidden in us that we have to uncover. Mm-hmm. We have self that is fallen. Yes. Mm-hmm. By sin. So we're all born sinners. We're all born separated from God. And we, in order to be reconciled to God, we have to trust in Christ. And that is one of the reasons he came and died on the cross and paid the penalty for sins. And through faith in Christ, we're reconciled with God and we're forgiven. Mm-hmm. All right. At that point, the Bible tells us we're, we're a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Yep. And that new creation is regenerated, a regenerated self by the Holy Spirit. It's not like we regenerate ourselves. No, no. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, yeah. now I'm just in Christ, I'm going to regenerate myself and become a new person. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's supernatural. This supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Yep. And that and in mm-hmm. that sense, we are a new creation. But it's not like we are a and we're a new self. But mm-hmm. it's not true self, false self. Right. So yeah. this is where it gets very. It's the waters have really been muddied here. So when because, it comes to I had a question about that. So you're saying originally the Enneagram was about, hey, you're this type and you need to realize that all that stuff isn't who you really are. Yeah. The way I see people using it is it's more like, no, this is my personality test. And I do these things just because that's who I am. Yes. And that's and that's where more confusion comes in. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's just, you know, it is just one big mass of confusion. Okay. That's what happens when you have a deception. Mm. And you have what you have is you have layer after layer after layer. And that's why if someone says to me, let's say just in casual conversation or maybe on Facebook, I, you know, I've heard of this Enneagram, but I don't really understand what's wrong with it. Mm. I can't just tell them in one or two sentences. Sure. You know, it's like I have to try to summarize it and then give them a link to an article or something where they can go read it because it it's it's just wrapped it's like a falsehood wrapped another falsehood wrapped in another falsehood you know like those russian dolls those yeah. nesting dolls okay and you keep opening the doll and there's another one and you open it and there's another one that's kind of like what the enneagram is except all those mm. dolls are like all the falsehoods hmm. <laughs> and it's it's just such a mess so here so here we go so that's why i'm very careful to say the original enneagram teaching is about this true self false self okay and richard Rohr put his own spin it to it which is just briefly one of the things richard Rohr teaches is that we have a self that was never separated from god hmm. because he's a perennialist so see then now i have to bring in perennialism yeah yeah please because, explain that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> So the perennial philosophy or perennial wisdom um, is the idea that all religions share the same core truth. Hmm. This is not the same thing as saying there is truth in all religions. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that's true or not, it's not quite the same as that. This is more extreme. This is that they all come from and share a, a core core truth, a core divine reality, Hmm. uh, which is how sometimes some of them put it. 
And so even though they look different, say you have Hinduism over here, you have Buddhism here, you have Islam, Christianity. It's like, well, wow, they look so different, you know, and they do mm -hmm. different different prayers and they even talk about God differently. The perennialist says, well, that's OK. You know, it just kind of evolved that way, but it all goes back to the same source. Hmm. So they're all really just they're all really part of the same truth. They are just understanding it and acting it out differently. Wow. And so for the perennialist, everybody in some way is connected to this truth and is part of, of God. God really in perennialism, as far as I can understand it, and I, and I want to say, you know, that I, I don't consider myself an expert on it. So just just so people understand that I'm not trying to be an expert. But from the way I understand it is that everybody is connected to God. And this God is kind of impersonal because they'll call God the way they talk about God is very impersonal, like God is living wisdom. OK, I think the Bible even calls God, you know, wisdom. Mm -hmm. But God is also personal. It's made very clear in the Bible, God is personal. That's right. But in the perennial view, he's living wisdom, he's divine reality, um, he's present in creation. Hmm. That's another thing. So creation is not just material, creation is imbued with the presence hmm. of God. Oh, okay. That's very, see, very Hinduistic again, right? Kind of that it, idea. It, it, it is. And, yeah. and, and New Age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so. Um, you have this um, reality that is just kind of it's the reality is God in a way because God it's not pantheism though it's not God is all all is God it's panentheism uh -huh. God is in all all is in God and there is a difference mm -hmm. so God is in creation and since we're all part of creation God, we're all part of God, too, and we're in God. And so Richard Rohr teaches this because he's very open about being not only a perennialist, but being a panentheist. Oh, I mean, he uses he uses the word freely on his blog at CAC.org. Anybody who wants what he believes, yeah. it's very easy to find out what he believes. Wow, yeah. So, so um, we're not speaking so, out of turn. We're not wow, trying yeah. to fling mud. No, like, this is what he this, believes. I'm not misunderstanding yeah. Richard Rohr. This is, this is, he's very open about this. So because of that, he says, we all have divine DNA. Mm. And so that's where his idea, although it's slightly different, is compatible with these other ideas where I've been talking about the true self being mm. part of God and in God and never separated. Richard Rohr, his ideas overlap with and are very similar to that. I see. So and when it comes so to like the Christian Enneagram, when he writes a book like this, like yeah, he, yeah. he could just as easily call it the Islamic or the Hindu because it doesn't – it's not a Christian thing. He yeah, thinks it, it applies to everybody in every part of the world in every religion. Right. Well, he calls it Christian because in his view, he has this thing about the Eastern Orthodox and he thinks that the Eastern Orthodox – who do tend to be more mystical than than Western churches? Sure, um, ha, they kind of understand all this. He thinks they're uh, closer to the truth. So he thinks Eastern Orthodox Christianity has at least the seeds of this truth. So in that sense, he thinks it's okay to use the word Christian. Hmm. And the way he interprets the Bible, he interprets every time Paul writes in Christ, and he says that quite often. And in yeah. fact, I think Richard Rohr gave. The number of times Jesus, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Paul wrote that. I can't remember what he said, but 
it's something like 68 times or something, mm-hmm. I think. He takes it literally. Oh. So oh. when Paul writes in Christ, are you in Christ? Literally, we're in Christ because the first incarnation of Christ was creation, mm. oh, according to Richard Rohr. Okay. So yeah, that's an so interesting interpretation. In Christ. <laughs> wow. Yeah, everybody's in Christ already, so we don't need salvation. See, so Jesus didn't die for sins. So, so that's no. that's kind of the path when you go down Rohr's path. So, that's where we go. Yeah. So so that's the true self. In that's itself, the, is that, that you is are true enneagram? So that's yeah. what you're trying. What he believes you are trying to get to through the enneagram yeah. is the true self as being one with God, essentially. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and you can understand if you can understand that you've never been separated and you're part of this mm. creation that Christ is mm. in. You're already see connected and you're already part of it. And he thinks this is the great revelation. And the but but you can't just hear him say this or read it and then say, oh, yeah, I understand. I believe it. You have to come mm-hmm. to it through certain methods. And these are contemplative methods. OK. And he says contemplation is a form of unlearning. Mm-hmm. So you need to unlearn these false concepts that you have, like. I need to be saved or I need to be forgiven Mm -hmm. or, you know, Jesus came to die for sins. Those are all these false concepts that are holding you back from this understanding and unlearn through contemplation. And that's why he's so big on contemplation. I mean, his center that he started, I think, in 1986 is called the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wow. It's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, and see, that just goes against what Scripture teaches about how we're to love God with our mind, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's not about emptying our mind and unlearning. It's about uh, learning what's true and real. Yeah, and then with that, too, I also see it as uh, when it's talking about the true self, that would imply that our true self is good. And perfect. With uh, biblically, oh, that's yeah. not true. Uh, our true yeah. self is corrupt. It's, it's wicked. Broken, it's yeah. evil. And like we're we're trying to get away from ourselves. That's why we need Jesus to come inside <laughs> our lives to change our true self because our true self right. is corrupt. Yeah. So it's it's right. very counter gospel with that foundation. It is. It is. And yet, this is what's in the church now. What's happened is mm. that people have taken it and they've tried to make it into a Christian tool. So they've taken some of these concepts and uh, true self and false self and tried to use them biblically, mm. which you can't do because no. they, they don't fit no. in a Christian context. And so what happens is they either end up redefining what the Enneagram is really saying, in which case, are they really teaching the Enneagram or are they just <laughs> teaching something they made up? Good question. You know, yeah. You know, they're yeah. teaching something they made up. It's like, okay, I'm just going to change this. It doesn't. And so, for example, uh, Jeff and Beth McCord say they teach the gospel centered Enneagram. Hmm. And now you see the word gospel attached to Enneagram more and more, not just from <clears throat> from them, but from other people. Um, there's a uh, website called Gospel Enneagram run by um, a pastor, or at least he was a pastor and some other people. And it's he's going into the Enneagram coaching business. Wow. And it's called Gospel Enneagram. And he wants to train other pastors in this. Mm. I mean, this is spreading in the church. Yeah. It's not just like a few people in the pew here and there are doing it. It's like leaders in the church are doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, pastors are doing it. Pastors who teach other pastors are doing it. 
Um, this is what makes it so spreading so fast and makes it so, you know, such a problem. Mm. Um, and then, of course, people, a lot of people assume, well, these pastors, you know, they especially if they've been to seminary, they've studied the Bible, mm. you know, they wouldn't take a tool that is blatantly anti-Christian and teach it mm-hmm. in my church, you know, so they they're trusting mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and then all the books that have come out, we have over 30 books. I think we may be up to 35 now. Enneagram books from IVP, yeah. you know, Varsity Press, Zondervan, mm-hmm. um, Thomas Nelson, and other publishers. Mm. And they're just churning them out. You know, I, I used to keep track of them, and, and I know I had to give up on it. I couldn't keep track any. I mean, I'm trying to, but I couldn't really keep yeah. track. It seems like every other week I hear about another book. So, and these books repeat a lot of falsehoods, which I want to go into. But to get to the core of this, for Christians who are saying, we'll use the Enneagram. So, um, for example, they might say, okay, you have discovered or you realize you are a type four. So... Um, this is who you you are, but you're kind of caught in this. You're not really living the 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 good side of four. You're not being a healthy four. Okay. And so you have to work it out. Um, there's a connection with two other numbers in the enneagram. One brings out your your strengths, and one brings out your weaknesses. So you learn from the one that brings out your strengths. And then there's also what's called wings. So a uh, wing is a number on either side of you. So like if you're a type seven, you could be a type seven with a wing eight or a type seven with a wing six, okay. or you could just be the type seven with, with no wing. And so then you're supposed to like take all that in and incorporate into who you are. And, and here's the thing. If you're going to use something like that, I think my first question would be, if someone presented this to me, it would be, um, but where did this come from? Yeah. And why are there nine types who decided there were nine to begin with? Mm -hmm. And what is it based on? And I would assume it was based on some psychological theories of personality, right? Yeah, like a Myers-Briggs or, you know, disc tests. You know, even if the research wasn't good, you'd think what was based on some kind of research or some kind of theory. Yeah, sure. Something from psychology. Nope. 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 Nope, that's completely missed. That's what I thought when I first heard of it. And then, like, I had these preconceived ideas thinking, oh, yeah, it's something that's from psychology. It has to be because it seems so organized. Like, there's no way someone just made this up, but... Well, let's get into that. Like, yeah, where does this originate? Because I know a lot of people say, oh, this has been in the church for years. And if you look all the way back, even into, you know, the Greek culture and the early patristics, it's all there. So let's get into where did this Enneagram thing come from? Mm. Yes, the Enneagram is 105 years old as a chart, not even with types. Wow. That's, it's 105 years old, <laughs> 1916. What about the ancient Enneagram? I've heard that <laughs> no, a lot. It's not Yeah, ancient. I know. It doesn't exist. Wow. And, yeah, there's all these stories about Eva- this 4th century monk, Evagris Ponticus, because what he was doing, and apparently this was sort of a, a trend at the time, uh-huh. According to, and I'm going to mention my friend, Dr. Ronald V. Huggins, who is a scholar. He's been published in Scholarly Things. He's taught at three seminaries. Yeah. His um, dissertation was patristic, you know, history, mm-hmm. the, the church fathers and everything. I mean, this is his area of specialty. Yeah. He has looked at this. 
He said at that time, Evagris Ponticus and other people at that time in the church were fascinated by the shape of numbers. So you put numbers into shapes and they just got into it. It was like this fad. (laughs) And so Evagris Ponticus wrote about these shapes, these shapes of numbers. And people have read that thinking that he's writing about like uh, like actual geometric figures that mm-hmm. have some kind of meaning and he or that he was writing about the Enneagram, which is not true. He never wrote about the Enneagram mm-hmm. um, and he didn't use that word. Uh, nothing he wrote has anything to do with the way the Enneagram is being taught today. Okay. It's not, you know, it's just not there. So um, he got into it because I think he's the one who wrote about the seven deadly sins Mm. And the seven deadly sins were used in the 20th century by one of the early Enneagram pioneers, um, Oscar Ichazo. So I'll get to him in a second. But and so I think that's why people try to make that connection. I see. Um, But of course, when he when Evagris Ponticus was writing about the seven deadly sins, it had nothing to do with any kind of, you know, personality. I mean, the concept of personality actually didn't exist then. That's a modern concept from psychology. Okay. Um, they had temperaments from uh, Greece, I think. They had the four temperaments, but that's not exactly the same. That had a lot to do with your physical nature and um, how to treat illnesses. Oh, okay. Okay. So that And that went on into the Middle Ages. Chaucer wrote about that, <laughs> the four temperaments, and even the church, it even... Or, it got into the church too, like you're phlegmatic or you're. Yeah. I can't remember the Sanguine other three. Sanguine or yeah, yeah sang- melancholic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that goes way back. That's mm. that's ancient, but it's not really personality the way we understand it today. Yeah. So there was no ancient line of enneagram. The other person that sometimes they try to uh, latch the enneagram to is. I feel sorry for these people in history that had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> yeah. Being named as part of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, Ramon Lull, who was a medieval um, Roman Catholic monk in Spain. Okay. And he drew, he loved to draw diagrams. Mm. And some of the diagrams he drew were to try to illustrate the Trinity. Okay. And he wanted to try to convince mu- Muslims were in Spain at that time. Mm-hmm. That's when the Muslims had not been uh, chased out of Spain yet. There was a big... Um, culture in mm. uh, I've been to Spain and I've been to southern Spain where you can go and see like Granada okay. it's a huge uh, beautiful the Alhambra it's mm. called the Alhambra it's a Moorish uh, you know palace oh, okay wow. Granada you can still see it it's <laughs> it's it's that it's beautiful so um, the Moors were there so he was trying to basically evangelize them or prove to them uh, the Trinity was true because, of course, he knew they didn't accept that. So he was using these charts, and there's a one particular chart he did that you will sometimes see in Enneagram books. And they try, they claim that this was an Enneagram that okay. he drew, and it's not. It's just not. <laughs> uh, Dr. Um, Huggins has looked at that. We have quoted him in our book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he said this is not the Enneagram. It's not what Romolo was writing about. It has nothing to do with <laughs> with what people say it is it's it's it was the it was a picture of the attributes of god oh, okay hmm. 
It so, seems like people are trying to justify their beliefs by finding something. It's almost like an egg hunt they're going on. Not something yeah. they derive, but we concluded this, and now we're going to go bolster our our conclusion by finding maybe some type of evidence in the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and this was kind of started by Richard War too, because in, interestingly enough, in his first book with Ebert, they said there was no Christian origins to the Enneagram. Okay. So he said was, that. He said there's no Christian origins. That. Wow. We, and we have my co-author, Don Vino, has the source for that quote. Wow. Okay. I can't remember it, so I can't tell it to you. I, I mean, I'm terrible remembering It's in things. the book. I remember you have it footnoted yeah, okay, in the book. Okay, it's in the book. Yep. So get the book, and, and my, my co-author, Don Vino, knows it. Yep. <laughs> and and he's really good at things like that. He's like, Poop, oh, yeah, that's here. You know. <laughs> so um, so uh, he said that. They wrote that. It has no Christian. Mm. Then they changed it. Wow. And they brought forth the idea of Vivagris Ponicus and Ramon Lull. And that kind of spread. And and what happened was, so now you have this idea that it's ancient when it really isn't. Mm -hmm. So here's the real story. A man named George Gurdjieff, um, who was a kind of an esoteric spiritual seeker, Kind of like an early New Ager, okay. <laughs> kind of like I was, you mm. know, I was a spiritual seeker. I wanted to I wanted to investigate different belief systems, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he was like that. And he, he traveled and he supposedly went to different places to try to learn. Mm. He had been raised Eastern Orthodox, but he rejected that and he was seeking other other ideas. OK, um, and he became a teacher. He got followers. People started following him because he would share these things that he said he had learned. And one of the things he did was, is that he actually is the first one who drew that nine pointed figure, mm-hmm. the Enneagram. And he drew it because he said, this figure represents the universe. You can put the universe in this figure. What does that this mean? Explains. Like, what? This is an esoteric, having been a new ager, I completely understand this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's like it totally makes sense to me. I'm like, yeah, I can see that, you know. Uh Um, It's this idea that you can somehow capture all the profound esoteric wisdom and laws of the universe with a diagram. It's Mm. it's just a it's the kind of thinking that you have when you're when you're an esoteric Gnostic type thinker. You think that you're able to illustrate reality with a certain diagram okay and this this actually happened in the 1800s with eliphas levi which is not his real name he's the one who drew the the baphomet the goat figure oh which and he didn't draw it as a satanism thing which Mm -hmm. is now associated with satanism Mm -hmm. but he drew it to illustrate reality Hmm. okay and he put like hebrew words around it and everything it was supposed to be like a spiritual picture of reality um, so he had the same, um, and so actually he did it before Gurdjieff did, but he just mm-hmm. did a com- you know completely different way, and it was different ideas, in a way. But it was sim- similar because they both think they're illustrating reality here. Okay. So so what he did was because it has nine points on it, he he said it illustrated the law of three and the law of seven, and there are all these little mathematical games you can play with the points. And since right. I'm horrible at math, I can't remember. I read about. <laughs> and how he did it 
it's like I read about it and like five minutes later I forgot it because it's like <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't stick in my brain. But sure. you can look it up and look up law of three, law of seven. And so he's like, oh, if you put this and then you go from here to here and, you know, nine is supposed to be a special number in some religious traditions okay. uh, because it's the number right before 10. Mm. So you and, and there's some in numerology, you cast out nines. So I learned, Mm. I learned some numerology as a new ager. Mm. And when you add numbers up, you cast out nines. So if I'm adding up a name and it comes to 14, okay, if you minus nine, you get five. You also 14, one and four is five. Okay. I see. If you get 17 and minus nine, you get eight, right? Mm -hmm. One and seven is eight. You see how that works? It's like a little magic, it's like a little magic trick. Okay. Except it's true. It's mathematical. Well, it's real. Yeah, that's a real yeah, thing. Yeah, it's true. real. But see, and that's the kind of thing he was doing with the chart. Mm, and he would put okay. the musical scale on it. Oh, okay. Musical scale on it. So he was just really into this chart. And it became used also to represent. He he said, all of us are born asleep. And we need to awaken to who we really are. He called it the new man. So you need to go through this process, long process of becoming the new man. Of course, this was part of his esoteric teaching. And the Enneagram became used for that to illustrate these steps and things like that. Now, he did not write about the Enneagram. So everything we know about what he said comes mainly from his students and especially his main student, um, P.D. Uspensky, who was a Russian. And Uspensky wrote four books about Gurdjieff's teachings, and he wrote about the Enneagram, Mm. um, and he taught Gurdjieff's philosophy. And by this time, you had followers of Gurdjieff, and then Uspensky had followers. And so now you have the followers spreading, Mm. you know, in different countries. Uh And there are still followers today of Gurdjieff's teachings. Mm. There are different groups around the world. Most of them are kind of cults they're really cults and they supposedly teach what Gurdjieff was teaching so there's still he still has followers today now he and Uspensky but at that time the only people who knew about this Enneagram were the people following Gurdjieff and Uspensky nobody else yeah, yeah nobody else was interested and they weren't going around you know they just kept it to themselves they both died in the late 1940s okay and then as far as we know, everything is kind of quiet until the 60s. And I don't know the exact year. I don't know if anyone knows the exact year. Here again, when you're dealing with new age people, you get stories and it's very hard to get facts. Mm, okay. Okay. For example, Gurdjieff claimed that he went to the secret Sufi um, brotherhood hmm. and he even gave a name and it's been debunked. There was no such oh. <laughs> There was no such. Sufi Brotherhood. Uh, it's hard to and trust people, people when they're saying certain things that didn't happen. Yeah, that's difficult. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, they, they're not even sure he even met any Sufis at all. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of his tales could just have been made up. We don't know. Yeah. This is the same. This is true for Madame Blavatsky of the Theosophical Society. There's many people like this mm. that are kind of in that new age esoteric area with these stories that can't be verified. Mm-hmm. So this is very typical. So here's another one. Oscar Ichazo comes along in the 60s and there are different stories about how he came across the Enneagram. So one of them is is that he was at a cafe and there were followers of Gurdjieff there and he heard them talking and started talking to them and found out about the Enneagram. That's one story. That's one of it the might stories, okay. Could be, yeah. That's one, yeah, it might mm. be true. I don't mm. know. It might not be. <laughs> yeah, right. But somehow he 
he did find out about it. We know that. <laughs> and he took it because he started teaching at the school that he founded called Eureka in Eureka, Chile, mm. although he was Bolivian. Okay. And he took the Enneagram. He put seven, the seven deadly sins around it, and then he had to add two more to make nine. Oh, okay. Since they're nine points, so he had to add two more because um, <laughs> he had to have nine. Yeah, there's nine points, so you got to have yeah, nine. Yeah. yeah, but he's not talking about sins the way the Bible talks about sins. Sins, what and what does the Bible tell us? Sin is rebellion against God, mm-hmm. right? It's basically rebellion. It's wanting to do our will over God's will. Yes. Yep. That's what it is. You know, not, Ichazo doesn't, you know, wasn't a Christian, didn't think about that way. He saw these as patterns that you get caught up in and that you're conditioned by. And he called them ego fixations. So these ego fixations, you identify with ego fixation on point seven. That's your ego fixation. That is messing you up. You've got to work through that. And you uncover the true essence under that false, you know, ego fixation. Yeah. So that's how he taught it. That's how he taught the Enneagram. He didn't use the word types. He used ego fixation. And it was about sins, not about, yeah, personalities. It's about specific, yeah, the seven yeah, deadly sins it, plus it's two. Not, yeah, it, it, you're right. Yeah, it wasn't a personality analysis. Okay. It was more that this is what you, the kind of behavior and things that you believe in and the way you are because of these, these conditionings and these false beliefs. Wow, okay. So... That's you work through that to get to to understand your true essence. And he's doing so, this in Chile. He's kind of got a center, like a cult type. He has he has a thing. school there called Eureka. You had to sign okay. when you went there. You had to sign a document saying you would not reveal anything that was taught there. What? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Very typical. <laughs> very typical um, secret occult school. I mean, this is typical for schools like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still around, you know, I mean, not Eureka, but they still exist. Yeah. And Ichazo just died. Um, I think he just died last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. He lived to be like 92 or something. Wow. He was born, he was born in 1931, mm. I think 1931, okay. 1932. Um, so he lived a long life. He retired to Hawaii. He was in Hawaii. Mm. Uh, when he died. So that's where he was. <laughs> when I started investigating, both he and Claudio Naranjo, the two main people, were alive. Oh, and wow. they both just recently died. Naranjo died the year before. Uh, he died. Oh, okay. Okay. So wow. they okay. both lived very long because they were only born a year apart. Wow. So Achazo's teaching this in the 60s. Seven yes. deadly sins. you got to uncover this. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, guess who was there as a student? Who? Claudio Naranjo. Okay. So Claudio Naranjo is a Chilean. He's a psychiatrist, but his specialty is using hallucinogenic drugs and seeing the effects on the mind. And he also used it for spiritual trips, just like they did in the 60s, LSD. You guys are too young for that. but We've heard the stories. (laughs) (laughs) Stories, right? Yeah, so um, that's, you know, that's what he was into. Mm. He goes, he's heard about Ichazo. He goes and he meets Ichazo. It's very interesting because there's actually a YouTube. uh, Claudio Naranjo has several videos on YouTube where he's interviewed. And there's a long one where he talks about going and meeting Ichazo. And he says, he talks about how Ichazo said something to him that was false. It was like he was tricking Naranjo. Hmm. And Naranjo either knew he was tricking him or he found out he was tricking him. And that impressed Naranjo. 
and he decided that he wanted Ichazo to study under Ichazo because Ichazo was his trickster. Oh, wow. That's yeah, scary. Now, see, yeah, that's... You know, yeah, most people would think, well, I don't want a teacher that's, you know, going to deceive me. But see, in the New Age, everything's backwards in the New Age. You can see this as something clever and profound. Hmm. And I found this in, to be true in Buddhism, too. Okay. They don't use, they don't talk about it in that way that they're tricking you or deceiving you. But there's this idea that, that you know, kind of not seeing something, putting it out blatantly, the truth blatantly out there, but kind of like hiding it, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of like a game or something. Okay. It's, I, I mm-hmm. see that in sometimes in, in Hinduism and Buddhism. So cause I was really into Buddhism when I was in the New Age. Mm-hmm. So I was into Zen Buddhism for 12 years. Wow. So, (laughs) so, um, so he thought he was impressed. So he starts studying under Ichazo at Arika. They go out and do these, uh, Ichazo sends him out into the, like the desert areas there to, on with drugs. And he does these spiritual trips out in the desert. Ichazo does them too. Okay. Ichazo claimed uh, two spirits he was in contact, Metatron and the Green Ketub. What? Um, now, Metatron is the name of an archangel in the Kabbalah. Mm. And I have read that Ichazo supposedly studied the Kabbalah, so I'm guessing that's where he got that name. The Green okay. Ketub is connected to Sufism. Hmm. Now, he also claims sometimes, see here again, he's the trickster, so he'll change what he says. He says they're spirits, and he says, no, they're states of mind. Mm, okay. You know, so, you know, so you aren't getting okay. the straight story yeah. here. Yeah. But he did claim his school was guided by an interior master. Mm. So that's a spirit. That's scary. Well, yeah. yeah. Wow. Of course. Consider, considering what Ichazo taught and his lifestyle and what I know about him, I'm not surprised at all that he did spirit contact. That would just fit in with everything I know about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that would just be normal, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, that's important to know because uh, there is a claim that he got the information on the ego fixations or some of the information while he was high on mescaline. Mm. Now, that is a source from, uh, I think it's a, a, news, a news source called Catholic World, which was trying to expose the Enneagram. Okay. Uh, because it had gotten to the Catholic Church, and so some people were were not happy and right, were trying yeah, to yeah, of course. <laughs> no so kidding. now I don't know. I haven't tried to verify that, but anyway, that's one of the stories. But he himself claimed that he learned this from either these two spirits or these two states of mind. That's what his well, claim that's was. I, that. Some people say he said that. Okay. I don't know. I don't know that I can say he actually said that. Okay. It's again, see here again, it's like you're dealing with stories with these mm, people, gotcha. like with Virgif. You're, you're just right. dealing with stories. He was a trickster. Mm-hmm. So you don't know, is he going to say something? And maybe it's not true. Yeah, who knows? Okay. I mean, but I do think he was in contact with spirits based on what I know about the occult and the New Age, based on everything I know about him and that he was teaching occultism at a secret school. Mm-hmm. I did get a um, private message last year or the year before from a woman who told me she had been raised at Arika because wow. her mother was a follower of Ichazo. Oh, man. And she said, she said, what Ichazo taught, I consider to be black magic. Wow. Mm. Okay. And I tried to talk to her again, and that was it. She just talked to me one time, and wow. that was. Hmm. So I well, never. Got, yeah. I was ever. I wanted to ask her more questions, but that was it. Right. Right. So anyway, 
So now we have Ichazo and Naranjo. Claudio Naranjo, his son had died. And so he was grieving, and that's why he was seeking. He was looking for some, a teacher, and he ended up with Chazo. Naranjo takes the Enneagram from Ichazo and goes to California to a place called Esalen, oh, a yeah. very edgy, yeah, edgy place that was a breeding ground for the human potential movement, experimental psychology, and the New Age. Yeah, it's in Big Sur, isn't it? Is it's that what in, it is? Yeah. Big Sur, California. Oh, yeah. Big okay. Sur, yeah. And if you look it up now, it still exists. It's very new agey. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're doing yoga. I think they're a little. I don't think they're quite as wild as they were in the sixties. <laughs> sure, no, nobody <laughs> is, right? Yeah, yeah. Or the, it was like like the late sixties, early seventies. It was. Uh, I mean, I remember hearing about Esalen. It was okay. just you know out there. And as Dr. Huggins says, because I quoted him on this in one of the things I wrote on Facebook, it was a place where he met somebody who thought Esalen was sort of a scholarly think tank. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he was so blown away that she thought this. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no, I don't think so. He said, no, it was more, it was more of a place where you'd find people naked and doing drumming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I understand okay. that kind of a place. Yeah. <laughs> That's his phrase, if I can say that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so here we are at Esalen, and Claudio Naranjo is teaching it, but he's teaching it with the types, mm. the nine types. Now, he says in a video in 2010 that is on YouTube that the way he got the information for the types was from his higher authorities. Mm. Higher authorities are his spirit guides. That's scary. And he talks about them. He's on a new age program. The other people there, the man who's interviewing him is a new ager. Okay. And, you know, he says uh, higher authorities. And Claudia Naranjo says, yes, yes, you know, the higher authorities. I trust them. I have them. I, I Chazo had them, mm -hmm. you know, and I trust his higher authorities. We have higher authorities. And, and the guy's like, yes, yes. They're talking about, about spirit guides. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. And he says that's how he got most of the information. So not and through, it's not, not through psychology, not through studying types of personalities, research. nothing, through he spirit guides. He, um, he said he affirmed what he got through his observations. But there's nothing written down. He didn't do a paper, a scholar. You know, he didn't like... He didn't like go to a psychological research institute and say, OK, here is what I have. Mm -hmm. Let's let, how does this fit? How do we can we check this out and see if yeah. this works mm -hmm. as a personality theory? OK, you know, it was never tested. It was never used by professionals. It mm -hmm. was never recognized and still isn't. It's wow. still not recognized. Well, and usually uh, those things take like. It's usually not one person who comes up with these massive right. personalities. Exactly. It's teams of people, you know, taking yes. a lot of work and research. Yes. So, wow. We'll, yeah. we'll have a link in the show notes to that video of Naranjo saying okay. that he received it mm -hmm. from Spirit Guide. Yeah, so if right. our listeners want to check that out, we'll have it in the show notes. And just so people know, he says it in another video, too, a much longer video where he talks about his time at Esalen. At the very mm -hmm. end, okay. I think it's the last five or six minutes, he says that he got the types from his higher authorities, wow. his contacts. Um, and that's the very end. It's kind of thrown in there because I was watching that video and it was so long and I was almost at the end and I thought, do I really need to listen to the rest? <laughs> I <did>. I, <laughs> right. And I'm glad I did because I heard him say it there. Mm, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that's what you have. And you don't have any kind of input from 
research or psychological theory. Um, if people are interested in this, really the only thing from what I understand recognized in terms of personality or one of the things that's recognized um, by psychology is the is what Jordan Peterson calls the big five. Mm. And actually, I don't think he calls it that. I think psychology calls it that. But he says it's five groupings of characteristics and most people kind of fall into one of them. Okay. And if you if you go on YouTube and do a search Jordan Peterson and Big Five, there's a, three or four videos that come up where he talks about it. Okay. And there's one where he's talking to his class at at the university and explaining it. Hmm. Um, and then there's another one where he's being interviewed. So there's different videos where he explains what these are and how they came to formulate it. Okay. Now that is based on theories and research. I'm not saying it's necessarily correct or I agree with it mm. or that it's even good, sure, sure, but sure. it's at least based on some kind of data mm -hmm. that has been researched, unlike the Enneagram. Wow. Right. So you basically have this Enneagram being used and you have Christians pigeonholing themselves mm -hmm. and thinking that this is them, you know, oh yeah, I'm an eight and that's why I do this and that's why... You know, when I argue with my husband, he's a two, and that's why this happens. And yeah. you know, and they're beginning, they're beginning, they're seeing themselves through this filter, this false filter. And you know that is very limiting. And I know that as a former professional astrologer, because you do the same thing in astrology. Mm. You know, you see yourself as okay, I'm a Sagittarius and I'm Pisces rising, my moon is in Leo. Mm. And, you know, that is why when this happens, I do this. And that's why I cry when this happens. And that's mm. why I don't, you know, I act, I act um, bossy when this happens or whatever. Yeah. You know, you, you, you actually, you filter everything in your life, the way you react and everything, you start filtering it through that. It's either through astrology or through the Enneagram mm. type. It's the same thing. And I hear from Christians who have seen this invade their church. They say that's what happens. People start talking about their type. And now even some Christian employers will give the Enneagram to people applying for jobs. Wow. Man, and that's I've crazy. Had, I've had, I've had yeah. Christians contact me and say they want me to take this Enneagram test. You know, I'm applying for a job at this ministry, mm -hmm. and they want me to take this Enneagram test. Wow. Or, or the pastors are doing it, all the pastors do it as a pastoral team uh, kind of consult. Yeah. I've seen yeah. that happening a lot. One of the things that I think is weird about it is, like, even what you were saying about astrology— so, so this really kind of pushes like a deterministic worldview. Like mm. you do these things because the stars are aligned this way. You don't really have a choice in the matter type idea, which I don't think is biblical. Mm. No, it's, no, it's just, <laughs> you know, for one thing, the way the, the planets are when you're born has absolutely nothing to do with who you are. Yeah. You know, astrology is based on the belief that the position of the planets at the time and place of your birth represent a kind of a blueprint of your life. Mm. Now, it's not as deterministic and fatalistic as it used to be okay. because of psychology. Psychology changed astrology. Hmm. And so um, to a certain extent. So now astrologers will see it in a more psychological fashion and they'll say, oh, well, you know, you have Venus um, here next to um, uh, Neptune. So you need to watch out because you're going to be attracted to uh, men, who, if you're talking to a woman, maybe men who deceive you oh. or men who aren't 
you know, maybe lie to you or maybe they aren't clear about, you know, their goals or mm -hmm. whatever. So then and you say so then you give different options, you know, or they might be like this wow. or, I see. you know. So this is what you need to do to deal with that. Wow, well, that's so vague. It could fit into like any category. Well, well yeah. <laughs> well, anyone that could be anyone. Like you don't have anybody, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that description that you just gave for that. Like that just it's so vague. It's like of course it could apply to anybody. Well, but, yeah, you could be attracted to somebody who's not yeah upfront with you. A lot of people are not upfront with other people. Yeah, wow, yeah. what do you know? It's it's astrology. That's why why it happens. Well, when it comes to have the planet Uranus there, which is instability, or it could be right. innovative. You could be attracted to very innovative people who are like avant garde, mm -hmm. or you could be to it could be an unstable person. So see, there's room there. It's like it could be either one. You see, and so it, there's there are options. What I'm trying to say mm -hmm. is that there's these yeah. options. Yeah, and that's so it's just not very defined at all. It can be a lot of different options to how it works. Well, yeah, a so lot it of fits different everybody. options. And, and astrology, which is a, the chart, is extremely complicated because you have all the planets, the sun and the moon, you have 12 houses, and you have the 12 zodiac mm. signs. It's all interacting I see. in different okay. ways. So you have like... I, okay. I think it's mathematically the options are so unbelievable how many you can have that you can't even count that high. I wow. <laughs> somebody, yeah. somebody actually figured it out, an astrologer, and it was using numbers with squared. Oh, you wow. Know? Yeah, wow. Sure. Well, I can see Squared that. times something squared. I <laughs> wow. Well, when it comes to the Enneagram, like, because, again, I don't, I don't think it necessarily pushes, like, a determinism, but I do hear people... I have heard people use it as an excuse of like, well, what do you expect? I'm a nine. Oh, well, that's yeah. what I do. Well, I'm I, a two. I actually, like, think, I actually think it is It is at least partially deterministic. I, okay. I agree with you because they, and I think the Enneagram is more, in a, you know, I'm not trying to make astrology sound good. I think it's more limited than astrology because it doesn't have quite as many options in it. Even though people think it's the wings, it's nothing compared to the complexity of astrology. It's, mm -hmm. it's still somewhat complex, but it's still, you're, it is kind of deterministic because just like you said, and people have told me, I hear people in my church talk about, um, oh, you know, well, she's, she can't do, she doesn't want to help, um, you know, clean up after the supper because, you know, she's, she's a seven or something or she, <laughs> yeah. you know, she wants to, she wants to do something else. Let her yep. do something else. Cause she's a seven and let her do something else. Cause she's a six, wow. you know, so you've got people are starting to determine, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe that's not your role because wow. you're a six or whatever. So I have been told that by people who see this actually lived out in their church. Man, that's are, crazy. And actually, there I was on a program about the Enneagram with a woman who was a past at a past. She was a pastor's wife at the time who got into the Enneagram and introduced it to other women in the church. Mm. And she said, that's what we were talking about all the time. You know, I'm a six. My husband's a four. And, you know, oh, my daughter's a, an eight. And so, you know, we have to deal with blah, blah, blah. And she said we were she said it was unreal. We were just so into the grooves mm. of these types because yeah. That's going to be the default. That is where we go. So how does uh, this, like, we with, are. Yeah, with that. So, like, like let's talk about, like, the dangers of this in the church. Yeah. Like, what is it doing and what do we need to be, I mean, again, I think we just shouldn't use it. I don't think it's a legitimate tool at all. But I know no. some people will say, well, listen, uh, you know, there's the genetic fallacy, which is this idea that, you know, accepting or rejecting a belief or a tool or a claim merely based on where it originated 
is a fallacy. And I understand that because an atheist can say something that's true, right? A Christian can say something that's false. But if they apply that to the Enneagram, like how would you combat that? Just because it's occultic in origin doesn't mean it's not legitimate. What, What would we say to that? Yeah, one of my answers to that is if this is supposed to be a tool that gives you information on who you are, Um, then the origin does matter Mm. because if you want some kind of tool that you think is a personality tool, although that's not what the Enneagram is, Mm -hmm. it should be based on, on, on personality theories or research. It should come from the field of psychology. It shouldn't come from spirit contact and some guy who was, you know, taking drugs and, and having spiritual trips on drugs. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's like in this case, the origin matters. So in some cases, the origin <clears throat> doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, the origin I, and my car maybe was designed by an atheist. It's very possible. Or maybe the guy who put the seats in the car is an atheist. Sure. That doesn't matter because the car still works. Yes. And, you know, whether he was an atheist or a Hindu has nothing to do with my car. But when it comes to a personality or who you are and a mm. tool that you're looking at yourself, <laughs> where that originates matters. Mm. Yeah. And so in some cases, the origin matters. So yeah. in other words, the genetic fallacy sometimes is is true. It is a fallacy, but it is not always a fallacy could, because in some cases, the origins matter. Absolutely. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, like another thing I hear too oftentimes is they say like like uh, like kind of what you brought up uh um, a common thing I've heard is uh, they say, oh, we can still use the Enneagram because it's helpful. It actually, yeah, like it has these issues. Yeah, it works for us. It works for us. Idea. It's yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, like uh, We can, or yeah, it has a corrupt origin, but we can redeem it for something uh, yeah. in the church. Uh, what, what would you say to people like that that say it's helpful, it's redeemable? Yes, it has bad origins, but we can use it to grow closer to the Lord. How, what, how would you combat that? Yes, and there's actually two um, arguments there to to respond to. One is that it's helpful, or it works for us, or it helped it helped my marriage, or whatever. The other is we can redeem it. Mm, so they're right. they can be connected, but they're actually two issues. Oh, of course. So as far as redeeming it goes, and that I've heard that too. In fact, I ended up writing an article on my website mm. because I heard it so much. <laughs> it's called <laughs> "Can God Can God Redeem Anything?" If we look at the Bible, what does God redeem? He redeems people. Hmm. He redeems people, and he's going to redeem creation Yes, because mm-hmm. he made it, creation. He got, came from God. God made it. He's going to redeem that. I don't see God saying he's going to take, um, you know, the practice of spiritism and the practice of witchcraft, and he's going to redeem those. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. a good you know, point. He doesn't say, well, one day, you know, when you're with me in eternal life, it's okay. You can do, you know, we'll have a godly witchcraft. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, yeah. So, you know, we'll have godly <laughs> spirit contact. You know, it's, yeah. he doesn't redeem occult, he doesn't redeem things he condemns. Yes. Yep. He condemns certain things and says that they are evil and have nothing to do with them. And these things are connected to Satan. For example, the practices of divination and spirit contact and witchcraft and everything are, were connected with the worship of false gods. Mm-hmm. And that's in Deuteronomy 18 and other passages. And so it's connected with false gods. And we know false gods are connected to Satan 
and there are many passages that connect false gods to demons. And what's going to happen at the end of time, Satan and his angels will be thrown into the lake of fire. Yes. There will be yeah. no more of that kind of thing. It will be destroyed because they will be banished. Mm -hmm. So um, God doesn't redeem occult practices. And, you know, if you think he's redeeming people now, the, the, our argument that's kind of a sideline to that is people will say, well, but, you know, God used Cyrus and God used um, the Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. you know, God used Pharaoh in Egypt. Yes, God and God used the Magi. Yeah. Okay who did astrology. Yes, God used these people for his purposes, but that nowhere do you see in those passages that because God used them that he endorsed them. No, yes. Endorsed their yeah. views. God used Balaam, too, who yeah, was a false right. prophet. And Balaam is condemned in three different places in the New Testament. He is condemned. Mm -hmm. um, but yet God used him. And it was to show what, and when God used Balaam and God used Cyrus and God used Pharaoh. It was to show his power over them. It was to show God has power over mm -hmm. these people who are trying to thwart his purposes or trying to hurt his people or whatever the case may be, because Balak had the king had hired Balaam to curse Israel. Well, God wasn't going to let that happen. Yeah. And absolutely. God showed them that he wasn't going to let it happen by using the very guy <laughs> who was supposed to curse Israel. Yep. It's really actually yeah. a bad story i love the story of balaam it's 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 in numbers if you guys want to read it oh yeah it's so great i love that story i mean not you guys but i mean anybody yeah our audience yeah maybe hasn't read it maybe they're a new christian or whatever it's a great great story it is. i mean it's a true story so so what, what do you think let me ask you a question about this so uh, in my mind because these different types if, if somebody tells me I'm a two or somebody tells me I'm a seven and I believe either one of those, I can find things similar about myself that are in all of the different types because it's vague enough to do that. Yeah. So at, at best, I, I seem to believe that the Enneagram at best, the best thing it can be is a gigantic waste of time, but yeah. it might be worse than that. So yes. like, what are your thoughts on that? Like what, what yes. could be going on here? What could be the, you know, the demonic play of getting this into the church? Yeah, I should talk about the dangers. Let me quickly answer the other thing, which is what do you say to someone who says it's oh, helpful? Yes. Oh, right. Yeah, right. Sorry about that. Um, this is what I say. I say you think it has been helping you. And this is because of these psychological factors like the Barnum effect. Okay, mm. this is where you identify mm. with certain descriptions. And there's a process that you you latch on to things that you think are you. And so you think, okay, so I'm a six or whatever. Um, and same thing, it works in astrology <clears throat> the same way. Okay. And these factors cause you to make, make it seem true to you. And then you also have something called subjective validation where you try to look at the connections that fit with you. And you also ignore the ones that don't. Hmm. So mm. there's a process going on where you believe it. And then when you think it helps you, there's a couple of things that are happening there. It may be that because you're dealing with an issue and you think, okay, this is my issue, and you already know it's your issue, the Enneagram just validates its confirmation bias. Sure. You know, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, 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 I always do that. That's, yeah, so three, that's me because I always do that. All right, I need to deal with this issue. And then maybe you try to deal with the issue and maybe that helps you because you've You've decided you're going to do something about this negative thing. Mm -hmm. And then you say the Enneagram helped me. But the Enneagram didn't really help you. It's because you decided to deal with an issue you had. Okay. 
You yeah. could have dealt mm. with that another way. You didn't need the Enneagram for it. Yeah. So, and the other thing I say is that if we're going as Christians to base truth on experience, which mm. is what that argument is, yeah, that's yeah. true. It, to me, that's that's an experience. Then we're going to have to accept the argument from all the astrology believers who say astrology helps them. Yeah. And all my clients said doing their chart helped. Some of them said it helped them more than therapy. Wow. Okay. So I had, I had compliments. I didn't have to find clients. I had clients all the time because it was all word of mouth because mm. I was quote unquote so good at what I did. Well, and there are a lot of reasons for that, but, and I'm not trying to say, I, you know, I'm not trying to flat, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to compliment myself. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 yeah. I'm good or not really good reasons. <laughs> so it wasn't good that I was good. So uh, you have all these people who think astrology is true because of their experience with it, because it helped them, because they think it was them. Mm. And if we're going to take that for the Enneagram as truth, then you can't tell these people that astrology isn't valid. Yeah. You're going to have to that's, give. It's the same foundation. That's same, true. Same, yeah. It's the same standard. Yeah, you can't you can't say well it's it's it helped me so the enneagram's true but oh astrology helped you no astrology isn't true no you got to you got to accept that but mm. that is that is the new age outlook and that is one of that's the dangers of the enneagram it's leading people to think like new agers well and that's why it's so popular in the progressive church right because yeah. they have a relativistic mindset already yes. and we yes. create our own truth and so if it yes. works hey who cares and so but it's seeping into non-progressive churches yeah. and that's where it's getting exactly. dangerous that's that's the danger and and you're right that's why it's i can understand why it got so popular in the progressive church first mm -hmm. um so that's one of the dangers um and of course other dangers are that you pigeonhole yourself instead of seeing yourself the way god is telling you who you are and and what does what is our purpose and, and as far as being sanctified uh god's word tells us that we're being conformed to the image of christ Absolutely. yes yes that is what God is shaping us. And there's lots of things about how we're being shaped and pruned and all of that. And what for, you know, the whole purpose is to be more Christ-like, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that is the standard. So Christ is our model. Yes. Christ is our standard, not healthy six, you know, or I need to be a better seven. Yeah. Or I need to be a good five. No, that's not our model. Our model is Jesus Christ. <laughs> yep, that's right. So, um, and unfortunately, you have people teaching the Enneagram who say things like, Christ is the sum of all of nine types. Wow. Christ is at the center of the Enneagram and is the sum of all nine types. I heard an Enneagram teacher say that. Mm. So they're trying to put Jesus into the Enneagram here, hmm. uh, which is horrible, in, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, That's awful. You know, to make it seem okay. But no, you don't look at Jesus through these nine types. No. That's, I mean, that's we look at Jesus through how he's revealed in God's word. Well, and that's what scripture says. Hebrews, right, 4, talks mm. about how, you know, in the former days, God revealed himself through prophets and in many different ways, but now he's revealed himself in his son, not in the Enneagram. And so Jesus right. is the standard, right? That's exactly. that, It literally says, laying well, aside all hindrances, we yeah. keep our focus on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
And so this idea that I need a different tool, it's like, no, Jesus is the tool. And he's better than a tool because he's a person. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it we can, can abide in him and he he can abide in us. And it just right. it, it's well, such a better standard than a than a diagram. Yeah, yeah. And this this whole idea in itself is saying that there's a better way to understand who you are and your right. friends than what you can get from God and through scripture. That's actually like, if you really break it down, that's what it's saying. You're right. You're right, Tyler, because that, that's, it's, it's, it's putting aside the sufficiency of scripture mm-hmm. for Christian growth, for Christian growth and living the Christian life. God tells us his word is sufficient and it, it equips us for everything we need. Yeah. And so that is how we grow. That is how we learn um, and we learn more about God and Jesus through studying scripture mm-hmm. that strengthens our relationship with the Lord that strengthens, um, you know, our ability to submit to the Holy Spirit and to grow in Christ. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's, you know, all the God's word is, is his word. It's not just a, another book. It's, it's living and active as he says in Hebrews four, it's living and active. And so, when we're when we're in tune with God's word by reading and studying it, you know we're shaped through that and through the Holy Spirit. Um, and if we go towards something else like the Enneagram, it takes us away from that. Mm-hmm. And it's and like you said, it's saying Scripture isn't sufficient. We need something else. So we'll take Scripture and the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. You see, and then they try to meld them, but they don't. They don't mix. <laughs> Yeah. They, it's like oil and water. They don't mix and people yeah. are trying to mix them. And what does that end up doing? It ends up elevating the Enneagram and demeaning God's word. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what happens when you try to mix scripture with something unscriptural. You're going to demean mm. scripture and elevate whatever it is you're trying to mix it with. So unfortunately, that I, I see that. Um, I see that happening. That's another danger. And another danger I see is that it's introducing a lot of people to Richard Rohr. Yeah, I've had many people tell me that because they got into the Enneagram, it was maybe introduced to them by a friend or in their church or something. And in their reading, they would come across Richard Rohr's name and then they would say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to look this guy up and he's written a lot of books. And I, I've had people tell me they started reading Richard Rohr mm-hmm. and getting influenced by wow, his ideas. Yeah. This is so this is very dangerous since Rohr is completely heretical. Just I didn't say this earlier. Richard Rohr believes there's a distinction between Jesus and what he calls the universal Christ. Hmm. So Jesus and the Christ are not the same. Wow. So you have a huge heresy right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, when Jesus was, you know, during the 33 years Jesus was on Earth, he was the universal Christ. The universal Christ was with him or in him. But at the resurrection, the universal Christ split and became this power that is pulling creation towards perfection. Hmm. And Jesus, because Rohr has said things like Christ said things Jesus would never say. Okay. And Jesus is holding the kite and the kite is Christ. And Jesus is holding the kite. So the kite, Jesus is down here. The kite's way up here Mm -hmm. so that everybody can see the kite. They don't need to see Jesus. Oh, I see. Hmm. And he also says Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote about Jesus, but John and Paul wrote about Christ. 
Wow. Why, sh why should we take his opinions on this? That's my question is who are you? Like you didn't rise from the dead validating that your message is pretty legitimate. Yes. Why should I trust your interpretation of this, you know? He has an incredible influence. There's something about Rohr and maybe the state of the church that's made itself open to somebody like Rohr. Mm. Rohr has been influencing the church more and more. And this Enneagram gave him a big, a big, another open door. Yeah. Um, I think he was already an influence in certain ways and with progressive circles because there's definitely a progressive movement in the evangelical church mm -hmm. and there are churches that are going progressive that were once very more, more solid. Yeah. And so war, this gives war more space. And the Enneagram just elevates him because mm -hmm. he's seen as kind of the master of it. And here, I've got to say this, the first two books that were came out that you would say were books for evangelicals on the Enneagram were The Road Back to You mm -hmm. by Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile, right? And yep. then the year after came The Sacred Enneagram by Chris Horitz. Suzanne Stabile was mentored by Richard Rohr mm. for years. And Chris Horitz was mentored by Richard Rohr wow. for years. Chris Horitz and his wife have a very close relationship with Richard Rohr. They've been on the board of each other's organizations. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I personally think, I personally think Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile and uh, Horitz and his wife are perennialists. And wow. I base this on things I've read by them and on podcasts I've heard from Chris Horitz. Yeah, and that's and not Christianity no, at all. No, no, it's not. It's not Christianity. No, um, you cannot be a perennialist and be a Christian because if you're a perennialist, you first of all you don't think man is separate, needs reconciliation with God. Yeah. Therefore, there's no. You don't believe that Jesus had to die for sins. Yeah. So you can't. You can't. It's impossible to be a Christian and be a perennialist. Which fits in with the progressive church, but it does not yes. fit in with classical or historic mm. Christianity. Exactly. I, I mean, and really, like even with progressive Christianity, the term, it should really just be called universalism because that's what it is. Yeah, it's like a it it's like a transition between I grew up evangelical, but I want to believe in these secular ideologies. It's like a stepping stone just to going the full way. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah we, that's true. They mix in a little New Age. They mix in maybe a little Buddhism. Yeah, they mix, right. Yeah, a lot, yeah, they they. It is. But it's, they're culturally Christian, and that's why they call it that. But it's a, it's a misnomer for sure. They still talk about Jesus. They still yeah. talk about Jesus, and, and, and they'll refer to the Bible. But it's just a, really, it's a different kind of Christianity. It's not, it is. it's a counter Christianity. Yep. Well, what would really? you say, like, real quick, because, we, you know, we're running out of time, but what would you say, you know, to somebody who has gotten wrapped up in this and is hearing all this for the first time and they're being alarmed, what are the steps? Mm. What, what, what do they do from where they're at? You mean if they're, in, if they're involved in it? Yeah. Or Let's say a Christian they, who, who's been taking it for truth and they've been running with it for a year or two and thinking it's really helpful. Yeah, how do they what, respond what do they do? to that? Oh, um, if they're willing to listen to me. Yes. Yeah, that's the key. <laughs> I usually get somebody wanting to argue with me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, well, if they want to listen to me, I tell them, you know, this, I tell them what it really is if they don't know, if they don't have the facts on it mm -hmm. and that it's not valid psychologically, it's totally invalid. It's bringing in these false ideas into mm -hmm. the church. Um, it's bringing them a false idea of who they are mm -hmm. and that they need to go back to scripture. Yeah. And that's where they will learn 
how to live the Christian life. That that's where they learn about God, and that's where they learn, you know, what just what to li- what to do as a Christian. That's the whole purpose of the New Testament. Yep. Uh, then the letters, the epistles, are all you know, to, mostly to churches, uh, telling them this is this is what we do. This is what God wants you to do. Yep. Yeah. And um, it's very Christ focused and Christ centered. And that's what they need to get back to. So, you know, most people who have learned, who have talked to me and have learned what the Enneagram is, have said, you know, I threw when I realized what it really was, or maybe I realized it, but I still thought I could do it. And then I was convicted that it was wrong, you know, or I saw that I was going in a bad direction with it. You know, I got rid of my books, you know, and now I'm telling my friends don't do it. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah. Although some of them will say I'm having a hard time. My friends are mad at me. They don't want to talk to me anymore. Yeah, yeah. really. It's sad. It's actually ended friendships. So it's divisive as well. It's divisive. That's another way we can see it's not from the Lord because it is. And I've known, I've known many, 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 many people who have left their church because of this. Wow. Wow. They have gone to the, the, the leaders of the church and tried to reason with them and shown them the information on the Enneagram. And they've been told, no, you know, I still see it as a useful tool. We still see it as useful. We're going to use it. Yeah. And then they just can't stay there anymore. Sure, of course. Well, yeah. But that's hard. That's hard if that's been your church, especially if you've been there a while and you have friends there and, Mm. uh, you know, children are there maybe. You know, it's that's really hard. It is. It's such a tough issue, but we always want to be standing for truth, and we got to go back to God's word on truth. We've got to yeah. understand what Christianity is. We have to be able to assess these things always through the lens of Scripture. And uh, yeah. we are so thankful, Marsha, for you being here today to help us do that very yeah, thing. thank you so much. With well, a really confusing subject. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I'm thankful to you guys wanting to put the word out there and, you know— let people know who, who may not know all of this. Yeah, we need to. We got to be careful because, you know, the scripture's clear that there's wolves who try to come in and try to disrupt and try to cause dissension and confusion. And uh, as as Christians, we should be having each other's backs and care enough maybe yeah. sometimes to hurt feelings of people we know, not on purpose, but because truth can be offensive sometimes. And this, yeah. I think, is one of those things. So we're very thankful for you coming on the show. And hey, if people want to uh, check out your ministry or read some of your material where can they contact you okay i have a website christiananswersforthenewage.org i have many articles there i have several articles on the enneagram there um also i have a facebook ministry page called christian answers for the new age and i do posts there on new age and occult topics mostly awesome um so that's where i i put most of my material and then of course there's the book Yes. Uh, Richard Warren, the Enneagram Secret, um, by myself and by Don and Joy Vino, uh, V-E-I-N-O-T. They run a ministry called Midwest Christian Outreach that they've been doing for quite a while, 20, 20, over 20 years, over 25 years. Wow. Um, so that I have an early book, I'll just briefly mention it, that came out in 2006 called Spellbound, the Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. It's about the occult. Mm-hmm. And it's on Amazon. Unfortunately, sometimes from sellers, it's like you know ninety dollars or something. Oh, I don't wow. know. I don't know how they determine <laughs> wow. these prices. And then it'll go down to like ten. Wow. But you can get it on Kindle. So okay. you know, if you can't, you know, don't want to pay ninety dollars. 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, we'll put, we'll put links to both of those books in the show notes. So if anybody yes. wants to go grab those off Amazon, you can definitely do that. But Marsha, thank you so much again for being with us today. This has just been awesome. Hey, and listeners, we're appreciative of you being here. Uh, be back next week when we come back with another episode of Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We'll see you then. If you enjoyed the show and felt that this podcast was beneficial to you, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you become a Level 4 supporter on our Patreon page, you can get yourself one of our Stoneware, Christ Culture, and Coffee mugs, as well as a t-shirt and a sticker. We are available on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube, and we are also available on all social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee.